Good evening, everybody. This is Rich Duncan with Ink Heist, and tonight I'm excited to welcome Matt Wildeson to the show, who's the hey. host of the Grindcast. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, uh, hi. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> but yeah, Matt, I jumped he's the gun the host. Oh, it's okay. He's the uh, host of the Grindcast podcast. He's one of the hosts of the Ghost Writers podcast, and he's the author of books Melancholy, Hearts Told, and Edge of Twilight. And I'm also excited to welcome Mary San Giovanni to the show, the author of the Kathy Ryan series, the Hollower series, Thrall, Savage, Woods, and a ton of other great novels and novellas. And she is also one of the hosts of the Ghost Writers podcast. And I'm excited to have both of you here today. And um, how are you guys doing? Hi there. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's good to We're be here. We're pretty good. We're excited. Awesome. Yeah, it's it's definitely a show I've been looking forward to a lot. Um, and we usually kick things off by just kind of having our guests do like a new kid at school speech. So just a little bit about yourself, um, you know, things you've written or any other interesting things you'd like listeners to know. And Matt, I'm not sure um, if you did one when you were a guest host with us for uh, Daniel Brom, but if you want to do one, too, that would be great. That yeah sure uh, Mary I'll I'll let you go first since you probably have a lot more accolades than I do. Um. <laughs> <laughs> accolades. <laughs> um, well, let's see. I I've written I think almost well it's over a dozen books, uh, mostly cosmic horror and novels, novellas, and short stories and whatnot. Uh, I have. I'm currently editing the Tempest line for Thunderstorm Books, which is uh, female writers and um, writing all different kinds of horror. I, until fairly recently, did a podcast called Cosmic Shenanigans, which looked at cosmic horror in uh, pop culture, literature, movies, things like that. Now it's uh, more of a blog format. It's still going, but it's it's a, it's changed formats. And I'm trying to think if I've done anything else that's Fairly noteworthy. Mostly mostly just writing stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I did some comic book stuff. Uh, I did uh, DC's House of Horror. I did a Wonder Woman story. And I'm looking to do some more comic book stuff maybe someday. And uh, That's about it. The most recent book I have out is Shapes of Night. It was limited edition through Thunderstorm Books. And it's coming out again in... Uh, Paperback, I believe, at first through uh, Crossroads Press. So awesome! Okay. Yeah, I, I've been looking forward to uh, that one, and I I totally missed the storm email. I think because I had thought it hadn't been released yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the the Thunderstorm Books editions that came out with uh, Brian Keene's uh, stories for the new pandemic. The, those are gone. So, mm -hmm. uh, but, th but we're, we're both working on getting that book out, like re, you know, reissued in a, a more, I don't know, I don't think I guess you can't really call it like a mass market version of it, but any, any not limited edition version. So, um, mm -hmm. so that's on the way some point this year. So awesome. far, so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to it. And, uh, how about you, Matt? Well, uh, 
Rich, you, you covered a good bit of uh, my background when you introduced me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I've been doing Grindcast for several years now, 400-plus uh, episodes, uh, and it's still still going. I don't know how, but it's still going. And um, <laughs> uh, started the Ghostwriters podcast with uh, little old Mary here, and uh, it's been an amazing ride. Uh, it's only been 30 episodes so far. Which I, w- I was, I felt bad, Mary, because I was going to tell everybody on the show. I was like, hey, guys, it's our 30th. And then it's just like never dawned on me. So Aww. I guess I dropped the ball on that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, the way the show goes, I think it would be even funnier if you said, hey, guess what? We have an anniversary. It's our 31st episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we are we all we are all really on the ball with the show. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I, I've been enjoying that a lot, and um, you know, just released Melancholia uh, a couple months ago, and uh, I, I've been getting some good feedback on it, and a, a lot of people seem to enjoy it, and you know, it was the first book I ever gotten uh, published through an indie publisher, and I couldn't be happier with how that all turned out, and um, you know, besides that, I also have like, I think it's like six uh, self-published books that I've done, and. Um, I've been teetering whether or not to uh, start the horrors untold shorts back up. Uh, for anybody who doesn't know what they are, if they if they've seen them in my back catalog, um, I had a Facebook group that I called Horrors Untold, and I would write uh, a story a month. And if you were a member of the group, you got to read it first. And um, then down like six months down the road, I get like six stories together and then put a collection out. And I had stopped it for a while because I was getting really really busy. And I missed it, so I might be bringing it back. Nice. So awesome. I, could, I, I miss doing the little short stories, so there might be a volume four, uh, maybe in the fall. I'm trying to stay away from uh, the uh, the spooktober season because like a million books get released in October. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> so <it> might, <laughs> maybe maybe November, maybe December. I'm not sure, but it'll, it'll be around that time possibly. But uh, yeah. That's I, I'm still pretty new in the writing world, but I'm I'm planning on sticking around regardless nice. of whatever syndrome comes into my brain and tells me I should leave. I'm still I'm going to try and stick around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and that's awesome. And, you know, kind of talking about your guys' show, like how you had said that that would be, you know, funny if he said it was the 31st episode anniversary. You know, it's. I love listening to the show and kind of how you guys have fun with it. Um, I remember, I think, when Matt was on the last time, I think it was just getting ready to get started. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just curious, you know, how how has it been for you guys kind of doing this new show? And what is it about, you know, doing kind of a podcast show? Do you guys like about it? Like, I know it it probably helps, you know, cause you can talk about like your books and your writing and stuff, but you guys also kind of just have fun with it and do like recommendations. And I was just curious since both of you, you know, have been doing podcasts for a long time, kind of what you enjoy about it and like how you guys even kind of got started with it. Well, Go first, Mary, that's great. Okay. Well, for, for me, I mean, I, I kind of, I think, I don't want to say by default, because I guess that, that <laughs> sort of uh, <laughs> undermines it, but um, Brian and Dave Thomas used to record 
the horror show every week. And uh, when I moved in with Brian, I was, of course, there every week <laughs> when they were recording. And so I think in, in the beginning, I thought, well, I'll go on a few times and it'll be fun. And, you know, I can talk about books and, and you know, basically hang with hang with my friends and, and, and just have a good time. And I ended up being on regularly as one of the co-hosts. And, you know, and later on, so did Matt. Mm-hmm. And I, I think what I saw in being on that podcast was the absolute reach that a podcast could have and in in doing good in this business. I mean, there, there's a number of things, I think, a number of ways that a podcast can can serve something like genre fiction. You know, it can... Mm-hmm. It can offer sort of an educational, analytical, you know, sort of critical review of the work. It can offer advice on how to make it in this business, you know, business, solid business advice. And it can also, you know, it, it can also uh, shed light on, you know, sometimes really horrific issues like newsworthy issues about things that that don't move smoothly in our business, you know, bad business practices or, you know, unsafe in, in situations that sometimes, you know, public things like conventions can cause. But I, I think, uh, you know, I would hear people, especially, and I think I noticed it more after I joined, obviously, because before that, you know, it's just like, oh, that's nice. The boys have a podcast. But I, I think <laughs> after I joined, I, I'd hear people say like, hey, you know, I was sick. I was in the hospital. And I listened to your show the entire time I was in the hospital, and that's what got me through it, you know. Or, um, you know, I was, I was, you know, going through a really messy divorce, and you know, every day when I drive to work, I'd listen to the podcast, and and you guys would make me laugh. And I thought, you know, like, wow, like there's a podcast can really do good things, you know, in in mm-hmm. in in the right hands, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, right. such as such as they are, but. Uh, I like the idea of being out there and, and I guess being available in that way to pay it, to pay it forward if I can, or to, you know, just be sort of that, uh, I don't know, that, that lifeline, I guess, if, if people need to laugh, mm-hmm. you know, if they, if they need to, to escape for a while and I can help them do that. I mean, that's kind of why we write books, right. To help people escape for a while. And I kind of like the idea of, you know, I don't know. It sounds sort of sappy, but I kind of like the idea of making somebody's day better that way. You know, it's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. I can definitely relate to that. Um, and too, like just in the case, like you guys had said, you know, I used to listen to both you guys on the horror show and now, um, the ghost writers podcast. And yeah, it's, I think it's, you know, and even from my perspective doing this one, it's cool because, you know, you get to learn a lot about, you know, when you have guests on like writers mm-hmm. and things, you get to learn more about them and kind of their personality. And it's it's kind of one of those cool things because, you know, prior to like, I think before I had started even reviewing horror, you know, I wasn't really aware of how many authors there were and the kind of community there was, mm-hmm. you know, in authors, bigger authors. And, you know, things like, you know, listening to the horror show and, you know, podcasts like that, it helped me, you know, discover more writers. 
And then two, just from like the writer's perspective, you know, I, I could be wrong. Cause again, like I said, I wasn't too involved in it, but prior to, you know, kind of like the internet and like things like, you know, now there's a ton of horror fiction podcasts you know, there might not have been as many like opportunities for writers to connect with their fans, you know, outside of Mm -hmm. like conventions and stuff. So, you know, I think that's one of the cool things for me is that like, I've been able to talk to so many authors and stuff and kind of just get to know them a little bit better. And in turn, you know, they've gotten to open up to their readers. That's a good point. Yeah. I mean, kind of humanizes the names on the book covers, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, for for you, Matt, um, you know, what has it been like for you? Because I know that you've you've been involved in um, you know a bunch of podcasts too, um, and yeah, you pro- um, I think you produce a lot of them too. Uh, I, I mean, one less now, but <laughs> Mary, Mary fired me last month, and <laughs> I gave her shit for that, but she didn't fire me. I, Mary's got a lot of stuff going on, and I can a hundred percent agree with her not doing the Cosmic Shenanigans podcast right now because she has more important things to focus on. Um, but uh, as far as like for me goes, it's kind of funny, like because Mary said when she started on the horror show it was by default and for me it was also kind of technically by default because i think i basically was going to be covering for mary because she was going to be i think you had to do like uh school teaching stuff or something like that at, at one point yeah i had and to you, go in new jersey be, like a few that's what like a was. few days a week yeah yeah so i literally because i was maybe like a once in every couple month uh, guest that they would bring on and i just like show i just walked in the one day for because brian <laughs> asked me to come on and he's like so uh mary's out you're in and i'm like i'm what <laughs> he's like no, you're gonna be on the show every week is that okay i'm like i yeah i guess that okay he's like i'm not paying you anything I'm like oh that's fine <laughs> <laughs> brian's delicate way of being charming and convincing well i mean you know brian as well as i do <laughs> this is his style um, but yeah, that, I, I kind of got into the horror show by default, but then like being in that show and getting to know Brian and Mary more throughout the, I guess it was a year and a half I was on there before it ended. Um, when it came to the end, uh, Mary and I both said to each other right away, like, we got to do something else because mm-hmm. it just it just feels like it needs to happen. And Dave was immediately on board from the get go. And then we were just I, I think. I think I messaged Mary the one day and I said, we need somebody else. And I'm thinking it needs to be summer Canon. And it was just unanimous. We're like, yes, it has to be her. And I remember she has a fantastic sense of humor. She's a very talented writer. And she, yeah, she was just, she would be the perfect addition. She was elated the day that I said, I was like, Hey, uh, don't know if you'd want to do it, but we're doing the podcast thing. And we thought you, but she's like, Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) but uh yeah so with grindcast too that was just um god that's been six years and i was in i was even a completely different place in life when this podcast started um it was just my buddy will and i um he he's been like my best friend for my entire life like i met him in high school 
Um, I remember back to a day when we didn't even know each other's names. We just called our, we just called each other Butthead and Dum Dum or something like that. <laughs> um, as as all good best friend relationships start, right? Um, <laughs> but for the longest time, we're always like, we we need, we wish we could have a show like a TV show because like our comedy was like, we have very unique uh, comedic uh, angles to things. And we're like, yeah, but that's never going to happen because, you know, TV shows, who's going to get that? And then, like, the dawn of the idea of podcasts came around. And I was like, well, hey, why don't we talk about, like, video games and stuff? Because that's our wheelhouse. And then we'll just continuously go off the rails, like, every five seconds, you know? Like, <laughs> us Grindcast was born. <laughs> but um, I, I agree that podcasts are – and I have told a couple people – that asked me like, would you recommend starting one? And I'm like, absolutely. If, if you feel like you have something that you need to say that reaches a certain audience that you want to have like more of a grasp on a podcast mm-hmm. is a fantastic way of being able to get in there and voice yourself. Um, you know, like Mary said with, uh, especially the horror fiction or just even any writing community in general, um, a podcast is a fantastic way to get to your audience uh, give them a way to talk to you, and especially in like these times of uncertainty, a podcast mm-hmm. is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because um, you know that's especially like you had said, you know, recently, like that's kind of been a big like outlet and source of comfort um, mm-hmm. for each other. I know, especially for me, you know, doing this show when everything, when you couldn't go anywhere, do anything. And I mean, I look forward to it regardless, but especially then, you know, I look forward to every Saturday, you know, I got to hang out with friends and, you know, have a conversation, you know, at a time where it's difficult to do that any other way, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, I yeah, look forward to every Tuesday night. Uh, <laughs> the only, the only, the only problem I have to worry about now is summer cannons getting closer and closer to burning my house down. So I got to <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be one ch- you're one joe flannel away from <laughs> upper annihilation you know and i have to say mary i am loving that that character is like taking on and i barely ever use it but like even people on twitter are like oh joe flannel <laughs> <laughs> That's so awesome. Um, and Mary, I, I saw an article um, about your work, actually, the other day on Lit Reactor. Um, and, you know, like you said, you had cosmic shenanigans. And I think a lot of people, they think of cosmic horror, they think of you. And in the article, I think it was Jay Wilburn who wrote it. Mm-hmm. Um, he had said he kind of asked you about it, and you had said that, like, I guess when you had started it, you thought you were writing, like, monster stories. And I would assume that, like, it was later that you kind of realized it was cosmic horror? Or did you know, but you just, you didn't really think about it that much? Oh, no, I had no clue. I, <laughs> I <laughs> when I first started writing, I, I knew that the kind of horror I was attracted to, because when I first, I guess when I first started reading... Um, my dad was a big science fiction fan, so I got a lot of science fiction books as a kid, you know, and, and he would tell me like a lot of, you know, science fiction stories as a kid. And I always loved fantasy. And I think cosmic horrors, 
when I discovered horror, that was like that was the be all and end all. That was it. That was yep. This is what I want to do. This is this is the genre I want to be in. And I think of cosmic horror as sort of a blend of all those things in a way. I mean, there's a mm-hmm. fantastical element to it. There's a lot of times a, like an alien type of framework, so it sort of falls sometimes into science fiction. Um, but it's clearly horror. And uh, Although when I first started writing it, even though that was the kind of stuff I liked, uh, that was the kind of horror I'd gravitate towards, say, more than like, um, you know, like real uh, real person horror, you know, body horror, whatever that kind of stuff. I, I tended to gravitate more toward cosmic horror type stuff without really knowing what it was other than that there were these cool monsters in it. And I yeah. that's what I thought I was writing was monster stories and just stories with, with like as, as weird uh, a kind of monster as I could think of, but always something like in order to explain where the monster comes from, it was almost always like, you know, some another dimension or, or, you know, something like that. It wasn't until, uh, I, I think somebody said, Oh, well, if you, if you like monster stories, you should read HP Lovecraft. And I started reading, you know, like Lovecraft's work when I realized, oh, this is like a thing. <laughs> this is there's a whole subgenre here that this guy started, and he's pretty good at it. <laughs> and, I, and I started reading more about what people classified his work as because I and that I think was the the English major part of me. Like I went to school for literature. Mostly because I thought I was going for a writing degree and I was apparently mistaken for four years and didn't realize till like the, the last semester of my senior year that they had me on a different track, which is fine. You know, it worked out OK. But uh, I think as a literature major, one of the things that they have you do all the time is analyze why stories work, why they work the way they do. And. That I mean, it, and it kind of appeals to me the idea of looking at looking at literature and and looking at the 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 elements, the sim, the symbolism and and the the word choice and things like to to see how this this magical effect is created really. And I I think in so it was it was sort of natural for me to want to understand well if this is the type of writing that I'm doing. What is it? How does it work? You know, who are the forefathers of it? Basically, that was Lovecraft. That was an easy question to answer. Uh, and and why does it work the way it does? And I think that uh, in looking at cosmic horror more deeply and trying to understand it better and in doing cosmic shenanigans, which is basically, you know, what lit majors do for fun anyway, nerds. Um <laughs> That's, I, I think, why it, it sort of developed as an interest for me because I, I could kind of, I could look at this monster, these monster stories, which I kind of thought were just for fun, and realize that there was, there could be something deeper there. There could be something uh, meaningful, something literary, in the sense that it was saying something about the world. You know, and, and, and I it's that, not that there's anything wrong with stories that are just stories for fun, that are just meant to entertain you. And they're just like, you know, the the horror version of popcorn fluff, you know. Yeah. But I think 
and again, it's maybe it's it's literature major snobbery. Like I wanted the thing I was writing to say something, and then I found that cosmic horror was probably the most versatile vehicle to do that. That it could, it, 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 much like the monsters in it, it could be this sort of fluid, changing, evolving thing, this terrifying thing that would open up these philosophical questions that were greater than we were. And and I like that. I like the idea of being part of something bigger. You know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and that that's kind of interesting, too, that, you know, I'm always fascinated by those kind of stories where you had said that you you'd found out kind of about Lovecraft and things later. Mm -hmm. Um, I've always been interested, you know, whether it be even like music or writing when people kind of tap into something, you know, based off of their own interests and, you know, ideas that are speaking to them, like, and kind of are a part of something unknowingly, like you had said, you found out about like his work, later but you were mm-hmm. kind of doing that stuff and i've always found that fascinating like when artists have kind of done something similar because it's almost like you're able to kind of make it your own and stuff first without mm-hmm. kind of worrying about those preconceived you know notions or established rules but then you can later you know research them and learn how it works and apply it to your stuff, but that you kind of had that organic experience first. Right. You sort of skip the whole pastiche stage, I think. Like, mm-hmm. my pastiche stage was more Stephen Kingish pastiches, I guess, um, because I hadn't known about Lovecraft. Otherwise, that probably I probably would have went through that, um, that sort of period, too, you know? But I mm-hmm. think, yeah, I think it was more of a... Um, here's a name and uh, to what you're doing and not so much a set of rules, but a set of uh, general guides that sort of determine that that's what this is, you know, and it was, it was, it was kind of mm-hmm. neat. It was kind of neat to see that. I guess, you know what it was? It was almost like being sort of unrefined ore, you know, like yeah. you're, you're, you're this kind of, you know, raw material, you know, and you're putting out this sort of raw material work. And then you discover that, yeah, people, people work with this ore and, and what they do with it is this. <laughs> like, oh, cool. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so it was, it was kind of nice to know that there was actually a place for this, a place for monster stories. Um, in, cause around when I started, there was that, there was that shift, you know, we had in the eighties, we had a lot of slasher stuff. Um, which was both supernatural and not supernatural. There was just sort of this glut in the market that, you know, spilled over into the 90s. And then there was sort of a collapse in horror. And when it started to kick off again in the early 2000s, which is around when I started, it tended to focus, I think, less on supernatural stuff and more on, like, sort of gritty realism. You know, there was, Mm -hmm. I think, more... Uh, Jack Ketchum type stuff and so you know when you're writing supernatural stuff you kind of wonder if there's really a you know I kind of wonder like like, am I writing monster stories that are just you know for me (laughs) is anyone actually going to read them and it was nice to know that there was sort of a long standing tradition 
of something besides ghost stories, besides that sort of gothic, you know, Victorian ghost story, there was a there was a longstanding tradition of people doing what I was doing. It was it was sort of reassuring, I think, that I was on the right track. That if that's what I wanted to be writing, that's what I should be writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. And you know, something you had mentioned earlier too. I'd be curious to get um both your and Matt's thoughts on it. Um, you know, it's a little bit off the cosmic horror path, but um. I know that you have also written uh, like a post-apocalyptic story and, you know, without rehashing, you know, all the emotions we've all gone through the past year, you know, one thing I've always thought about with that subgenre and how you said, you know, sometimes these stories can, you know, reflect things that are going on, feelings or things that are happening in the world. I've always been curious now that we've all kind of gone through something like this, you know, what that means for that particular subgenre of story going forward. And I, I, didn't I, I feel like it's, it. uh, I feel like because of what we just currently went through, it's going to kind of change the, the landscape of that genre slightly. Um, cause I think it, it might start taking on like, not, not that it hasn't before, but it might start taking on more of the psychological effect of, Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the mm-hmm. a, a world ending situation, because, you know, when when this whole pandemic started, the first thought was, you know, how do I not get this? What does it do? You know, like it, we were really worried about what the effect of the virus was at first, not thinking about the effects of how long we were going to have to be locked up and the effects mm-hmm. that that would have on us. And I feel like with every post-apocalyptic thing that's written, that's kind of how you think at first is like, how how does the physical effect of it, you know, work with everybody and not most not the emotional as much. And mm-hmm. I, I feel like because now we've all experienced it, um, you know, maybe not on like a, a fallout scale, but <laughs> yeah, know, now that we've all experienced something in that kind of a wheelhouse, mm-hmm. I, I think like it will tug on heartstrings a little bit more. And I feel like this is a genre that might um, kind of explode a little bit more in the next couple of years. Cause I think because when the pandemic started, people were kind of getting away from it. Cause they're like, not, not good timing. Like, I don't mm-hmm. want to be that guy who put the, the, that, that guy or girl that puts out the first, you know, post-apocalyptic novel within the beginning of this going on. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and I don't want to write anything that has to do with COVID as a villain or, you know, like, no, that was a hot button. No one wanted to touch that. And I think now that we're starting to come out of it, I mean, we're we're. I'm not even going to say we're post pandemic because we're not. Um, but we're you know there's there's that light at the end of the tunnel is getting bigger. So I think you'll start getting more stories of people's possibly their personal uh, feelings and ways that they dealt with it. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'm really interested to see that personally, if if there's going to be a lot more like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with Matt. I think that, uh, uh, you know, on two accounts, I think one that it's, I mean, it was very eye-opening, and not necessarily in a good way, about how people deal with something like a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think mm-hmm. that the post-apocalyptic genre 
was starting prior to COVID was starting to move beyond horror and become its own genre in and of itself where there was like post-apocalyptic romances, post-apocalyptic dramas, you know, just, just stories about the end of the world. Because I think ever, honestly, ever since like 9-11, I think, you know, and, and this sort of rise in school shootings over, you know, over all this time, I, I think mm-hmm. that it's become sort of a, a fascination for people who have, grown up, you know, who were little kids when 9-11 happened, you know, and, and have grown up in that sort of uh, semi-paranoid world, you know, mm-hmm. with extra precautions at the airports and extra precautions at bus and train stations about people leaving bags, by, you know, unattended and, um, you know, extra precautions at the schools where they have to go through metal detectors just to get to their classes and, you know, it's it's a different environment, and it seems to – the idea that we could survive an apocalypse, I think, was very appealing. I think it's one of the reasons why the, the zombie genres got real big and, and, you know, why post-apocalyptic stuff got real big. But like Matt said, I, I think people were, were moving away from it as a horror genre when COVID hit. And then when COVID hit, nobody wanted to, you know, make light of it that way. By just you know making it a you know making it a story villain I guess I think that the psychology of the thing and and the actual practicality of the thing I mean not all of us you know from I guess I should say for many of us this is the first time that we're actually seeing a crisis situation that has affected us on a personal level. Um, mm-hmm. which sounds sort of first world problem, you know, but, but, but in, a, in a sense it is, I mean, you know, unless you've lived through some kind of natural disaster or, you know, some type of war torn area situation, this is, the, this is the first time that I think a lot of us have had to deal with, you know, the possibility of martial law or curfews or, you know, restrictions on certain, you know, behaviors that we never really even thought twice about, like going out to the supermarket or something. And it was sort of terrifying how people resisted, you know, common sense things that were meant to protect us, all of us, as a people, not maybe, you know, that maybe have been, you know, inconvenient as individuals, for individuals, but we're meant to protect the society. And it's also kind of fascinating how quickly uh, people try to revert back to normal life, despite whatever the evidence uh, was going on around them. They wanted so badly for things to be okay that they they almost disregarded certain safety precautions. And, and all the movies, you know, with, with the zombies and, and yeah. you know – natural disasters and meteors and whatever you don't see people fighting <laughs> you know the, the you don't see people saying okay well you know stay like in the movie when they say stay in your house so the zombies don't bite you stay in your house and wait most people in the movie stayed in their houses you know? yeah. they didn't fight it they didn't fight it like this is some kind of violation of their personal freedom so and 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 it is human nature in fact i think we were talking about this on the the ghost riders podcast actually the other day it is human nature that the longer you are exposed to a tragedy the the less afraid outwardly you are you just mm-hmm. sort of sublimate that fear and try to normalize it 
and and I and I think that that's I think we're going to see fiction that reflects those kinds of psychologies in post-apocalyptic fiction because I think it was a surprise to all of us that this is the way the human race is going to behave in a, when it really mm-hmm. comes down to all of these scenarios that we've been writing about for so long and assuming that this was how you know this was how it was going to go. Uh, I think we were shocked that it didn't quite go the way it does in the movies. And so I think that there's going to be a lot of, um, a lot of psychological updates <laughs> to how yeah. we think people are going to behave in, in these, in these situations going forward. And, you know, I think, I think it's like Matt said, I, I think that it's going to be a lot more stories, not so much about COVID let's say, but it's going to be a lot more stories about what people were really afraid of, what what COVID represented to people, which was loss of personal freedom, uh, loss of a sense of security or safety, um, inability to protect loved ones. You know, I, I think those kinds of uh, how, like Matt said, how we processed the things we were really afraid of are going to find their way into stories and they may have different faces. They may not be COVID stories overtly, but in Mm -hmm. essence, they are in essence. I think these post-apocalyptic stories are now going to deal more with what we know people go through. You know, people have gone through, you know, depression and um, there've been like just things you wouldn't think of, like the, the incidents of domestic violence and child abuse uh, went up. Yeah, you know, very yeah. few people had the flu have had the flu in the last two years. I mean, that's that's been I think they said knocked down to less than half of what it usually is. But domestic violence and child abuse went. I mean, that to me is a horror story. You've been told basically by the law to stay in your home, and your home is the least safe place you know. You know, so I think yeah. it's going to be more yeah. the processing of things that we never really thought about in an apocalyptic situation because we came that close to an apocalyptic situation and have a little better understanding of it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I, I agree with both of you guys. Um, and I think it would be interesting to see those genres, that genre particularly kind of switch to those sorts of things, because you're right. It, it's, it was things that you didn't really think about. And yeah, you know, it was obviously, very terrible but it was kind of that's why i was kind of curious of your guys's thoughts on it you know just strictly from a writing perspective it's just that you know like you had said for a lot of us we you know with some exceptions but it was kind of the first thing that we have really gone through kind of like that and it was something that was happening everywhere Mm -hmm. from a purely literary perspective you know that's why i was kind of curious to ask you guys that question and i think that that would you know i think if that kind of went in that direction it would be interesting to see you know because like a lot of times you know the stories might have other elements but a lot of times it seems like it's almost kind of more about whatever the event is or the you know mystery behind it is Mm -hmm. Um, so it would be more interesting to kind of see it kind of more like you guys had said psychological more introspective yeah 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 mm-hmm. yeah and um you know kind of um like on that note 
um, with kind of like those changes and like different subgenres. Um, I know, Mary, that you, one of your, I think it's your next upcoming book, The Everywhere House. Mm-hmm. I, I seen it, and um, you said it's the scariest thing you've written. And it, I, if I'm remembering correctly, it's a cosmic horror haunted house novel. And yes. that just sounds so cool. You know, the blending of those two genres, both of which, you know, have a pretty rich history. And I was just kind of curious, you know, what kind of inspired that combination? Um, and what what is it kind of like working with, you know, as a writer, kind of working with the tropes from, you know, each or kind of avoiding them, uh, so to speak? I... I see. I grew up with a father who got this sort of mischievous glee, and every time I come up, you know, come up to him and say, "Dad, I, you know, I have this, I have an idea for a story," and I tell him the story, and he'd be like, "Oh yeah, that's like Star Wars." <laughs> or, oh yeah, that's like Lord of the Rings. Yeah, it would be, it would be something where uh, he was a he he was a good sort of gatekeeping for that you know a good sort of filter for that and so it made me want to i i guess stretch the limits of of my imagination in terms of what i could create even if i was working from some familiar concepts you know like that it would have to be i'd have to be able to say and be comfortable with the idea that i'd put my own stamp on it that it was my own creations which is i think one of the things that drives me to do less with um you know genre standard monsters let's say like werewolves or something like that because i wanted it i I always want them to be something where it's like nope that's uniquely that's a that's a mary monster you know and so i thought i'd like to do a haunted house novel it was actually going to be one of my attempts to get away from cosmic horror just just for something different you know just to try something different mm-hmm. and then my brain smacked me upside the head in a sense and <laughs> no, no no you're missing the basic concept here I, I i can't believe you're not getting this it should be a cosmic horror story it should be a cosmic horror ghost story because you very rarely at least so far as i i can think of you very rarely see stories about what a ghost might be from some other type of entity like if monsters die mm-hmm. do they have souls and if they have souls what are their ghosts like you know what are monsters from other dimensions like what is their version of a ghost and i thought well what if i had a place that just sort of funneled in ghosts from all different universes all different dimensions. And because haunted houses generally tend to, um, at least in, in fiction, generally tend to capture aggressive, hostile, sometimes malignant spirits, what if this place tended to attract the malignant spirits of multiple universes? So the house is sort of a nexus of, of hauntings from different dimensions. So you've got standard ghosts, you know, dead people ghosts, and then you've got ghosts of dead other things. And it, it was so much fun. I mean, it was it was kind of cool because I got to touch on not just what I thought the afterlife might be like for 
something, you know, in a dimension where universal rules don't apply, but also what approach other creatures might have to the concept of death and to the concept of the afterlife. Like there's one, um, there's one, I guess, race of creatures who believe that your soul is all the debris that you get rid of, all the mental debris that you get rid of when you die. It's like your clutter. And so they don't, unlike us, they don't think of uh, your soul as like the everlasting, ever-living part of you. They think of it as all your extra crap. And so they they, they don't, they banish those kinds of things because it's, it's like clutter to them. So those ghosts are hostile because that's not really the case, you know. And, 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 and some of the ghosts... Some of the ghosts are more sympathetic than others, but for the most part, you know, it, 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 this place traps these malignant spirits, but they don't all, like, they don't all have to function under the rules that we've sort of set up for our own ghost stories about how our ghosts work, you know? So it was mm-hmm. a lot of fun. I got to do a ghost story that bent ghost story rules, and and I really enjoyed it. I I, I think to date, if I do say so myself, it's probably my best book. And I can't wait to have news about when it's coming out that I can, you know, share with folks because I, I really think it's probably, like I said, I think it's the scariest thing I've ever written. I'm, I'm really excited. Yeah. That sounds like, that sounds like such an awesome concept. And like, as soon as you started describing it, I was like, I absolutely have to get my hands on this. <laughs> <Nice>. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's like I said, it's such a cool concept and like I had never even considered that. But like when you were kind of describing it and like the different, you know, you said the different beings and kind of how they might perceive the afterlife. Like, I think that's a really cool sort of thing, especially, you know, if you think about, you know, people don't. But like you'll sometimes hear things, you know, from the science community about, you know, like, oh, there's possibly alternate dimensions or Mm -hmm. universes and things like that so it does raise the question you know like for them like what would a ghost be so that sounds really exciting well thank you i'm 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 excited about it i i'm looking forward to being able to tell folks when and where they can get it (laughs) (laughs) yeah and uh and you know i'm not sure but um just out of curiosity, because I know you guys are all friends and stuff. Have you read it, Matt or Mary? Have you let anyone else read it yet, or is it still something that you've uh, kind of kept close? I honestly, I haven't let anyone read it yet. Mostly because I guess I, it never occurs to me that people would want to. <laughs> <laughs> it just never does. I mean, I guess I'd give it out to you know if people wanted to, I, you know, like friends, you know, I I would send. I, mm-hmm. It just never it never occurs to me to send it. I have read parts of it to Brian, and it's funny when you're dating a writer, you know, you're the person's also a writer too, because mm-hmm. I think that generally spouses and significant others they're supportive. They're supportive because they're your partner, but there's a different kind of support that another writer gives you when the other writer knows that you nailed it from a professional standpoint, you know, from like a, from like a a writer to writer standpoint. And he's like, damn, baby, that's good. (laughs) 
<laughs> it was just it was, it was yeah. just, that I think so far has, has been you know one of the most exciting things is that uh, you know that Brian doesn't just appreciate the little bits I've read him because uh, I'm his girlfriend, but because he thinks that that it's actually good, you know, from writer to writer, like a writer to writer standpoint. And that's kind of exciting for me too, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't yeah, absolutely. Once in a while, I, I still like to impress him with, you know, <laughs> my ability to, to wield the word. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, that that's so cool. And one thing I wanted to kind of ask both of you, and kind of from a different perspective um, is Matt, I know recently you've had a new anthology come out called dark words and their mm-hmm. stories, of urban legends and folklore. Um, and Mary, I know you've picked up uh, books for like the Tempest line and stuff, but I'm just kind of curious from like an editing perspective, you know, Matt, what was it like for you kind of putting together this anthology and then also Mary, you know, kind of, what has it been like editing the Tempest line and would you ever consider editing an anthology or do you kind of just like uh, sticking with the uh, like novels? Um, and I guess Matt, uh, you can go first. Okay. Um, I, I, I had to say I, it was a bitter sweet thing doing the editing for uh, dark words uh, for a couple reasons. Um, one, I, it was the first time I ever did anything like this and I did not give myself enough time to comfortably edit an anthology. Um, (laughs) when I, when I drafted up the contract, I was sitting there in my head thinking, well, you know, like how, how long could this take me? I'll I'll give myself a month. And I was an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) Cause I'm like, I could have gave myself two months. I could have gave myself three months. I'm like, no, I'll give myself a month to edit. 12 stories, design a cover, design the inner like workings and get everything finalized and ready to go for Amazon's approval, which is always shaky. And, um, mm-hmm. and you know, in the end, thankfully it all worked out, but yeah, it was, uh, it was crunch time. There were, I'd have to say probably for most of April and the first couple weeks in May, my wife and I were just on the couch together going and my wife is my personal editor um we did this together and we were sitting on the couch probably just for like she'd come home i'd make dinner and we would just edit and then weekends came by and we would just sit there and edit and the day would just go about itself outside our window and like the only way we made it feel like we went somewhere is like i would go on youtube and i would find like you know uh uh, coffee shop ambience with with jazz music, so it, like it felt like we were in a store somewhere, you know. Um, but it, it was it was fun though. Like um, I know when we were first finished, my wife looked at me and she's like, "Don't do that again." <laughs> and I was like, "So I can't do it." In the drawer in case you get any ideas. Yeah. I drafted up some papers that will require a signature from you if you do this again. <laughs> no, uh, um, she just basically meant like give yourself more time because I was like, oh, I, I I wanted to do another anthology down the road, but she's like, no, just don't do it all in a month. Like, don't don't do that. <laughs> but um, the the 
the thing I was worried about initially the most doing an anthology was, and, and this is also because it 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 was writers to writers. Um, I didn't know how it would come off me sending, you know, my my thought and my wife's thoughts and our editing notes as to like how they should fix their stories. Because mm-hmm. you know, no matter how long you've been in the biz when you hear somebody else like send something back to you, even if it's constructive criticism, it still feels like they're tearing you a new asshole. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So it was, it was, and they all, they all took everything very well. Um, A lot of them even said our editing notes, like helped shape the story for better. And that made me feel great. But it was, there was like that thought in the back of my head when we're compiling notes and I'm just like, Oh man, I feel bad sending this because it's like, two or three pages of editing notes like that. I just feel like I destroyed this person's thing. And it was like, Oh no, this was great. Thank you. So they were all really good sports about it. And, you know, after that, I don't really, I don't have the fear of editing anything again. Like it, it it actually was a fun experience. It was a, a great learning experience as well, because, you know, self publishing your own books, you're just kind of like, you know, it's yours. So you're not that you're not super worried about, you know, the like every fine detail, but when you're putting it together and you've got 11 other people on your back and you want to do them right, Mm -hmm. you're making sure like I've got this thing perfect. And it, it made me appreciate a lot more of like what happens in independent press because it was that, same experience for the most part. And then you get into the making sure I can share it around and then, you know, getting people their copies. And Mm -hmm. because that, that was something I didn't understand how to do at first. And I had to look everything up and I'm like, well, how do I get people copies that live overseas? Like, like, how does that work? And how do I, you know, how, how do I ship people? Like if they want to buy copies to sign and, you know, so it, it was really neat finding out all the stuff, but it was, it was uh, sometimes heart attack inducing. Um, <laughs> there was a there was a couple times I'm sitting working and I just like, like hey hey hon, do you smell toast? Am I having a stroke? Am I having a stroke right now? <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, they all did a fantastic job, and you know I can't recommend if, if you're looking for an anthology, I can't recommend that one enough. I mean there are millions of great anthologies, but I'm super proud of how that one turned out. Nice. Mm-hmm. And, um, um, yeah, sorry, Mary, go ahead. Okay. I was just, I, I never really thought of myself as an editor, even though most of my work experience from college on my day job has been editing something, uh, in, in, I've been in one end of publishing or another, for years, for like the last 20 years. And I, I don't, I mean, I, I, I think of myself as able to edit the same way that people who are hungry are able to cook, you know, it's a, it's a skill that you have because you have to. Um, mm-hmm. And I enjoy it if, I enjoy it if I feel like I'm helping, you know, I don't know, like with the Tempest line, um, one of the pleasures of it is being able to bring uh, writers that I believe in 
a, a wider audience, you know, and, and and getting them, you know, beautiful versions of their books in, you know, in this in this collector's market. And but it's not so much a case of having to, you know, do any kind of heavy handed editing because I'm curating who I'm asking. So I'm asking people that I know will give me a good book. You know, I don't have to worry so much about uh, is this something I'm going to take or reject? You know, it's it's more like I, I'm not asking this person if I think there's really any good chance that I'm going to reject them. You know, I'm asking them because I'm, I'm sure they're going to give me something I can work with. And and I and I like that, too, because like Matt said, editing is. There's a fine line. Um, there's a skill to editing because you have to. You don't want to offer edits, which are essentially, you know, rewrites of how you would do it if it was your story. That doesn't help the writer. What you want to do is offer things that understand the writer's vision, uh, you know, and, and their goals for a particular work and serve to meet that vision, to, to realize that vision and meet that goal in their way. So, you know, some of it is overlooking how you would do it differently as a writer. And so I, I, I remember mm-hmm. I had a conversation with Ellen Datlow years ago and she, you know, as you know, she's compiled, you know, countless, countless anthologies and um, has edited, you know, some of the best in the business. And I said to her one time, do you ever want to write your own stories? Like reading all this stuff, you ever get inspired to do your own thing? And she goes, oh, hell no. She said, <laughs> I, I would never want to write a story. She said, the, the joy for me is discovering writers and bringing them to, re- you know, bringing them to readers. And you know, and, and, and putting together these books of fantastic fiction, but she goes, I wouldn't want to do what you guys do. Definitely. not. (laughs) In in some ways, that's how I feel about, and like, I'm, I'm not like Ellen, you know, I, to me, first and foremost, writing is, is what I think of what I do. Editing is what I think of that needs to be done after what I do, (laughs) you know? So I don't know that I want to, necessarily edit an anthology i mean i wouldn't mind spearheading something like if it was like you know mary san giovanni presents or something but um Mm. like matt said it's it's a lot of work under the best circumstances to edit an anthology if you want it to be good you know if you want Mm -hmm. the writers to have you know fair payment and uh, you know, decent distribution, you know, and, and you want the anthology to do well and you want to bring quality fiction. It, it's, it's a very delicate balancing act. And, um, sorry, I needed a drink of water. A lot goes into it. Uh, I, I, I know that the, the order of the stories is important. Um, the, Having a balance between, you know, from, from purely from a marketing standpoint, having a balance often between people that readers recognize, you know, recognizable mm-hmm. names and, you know, new talent, you know, what what the theme is, it, all these things that go into this. And it's sometimes I think it would be fun, you know, to edit an anthology the same way. Sometimes I think it'd be fun mm-hmm. to make like a little independent film. And I think mm-hmm. that's a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I, I thought it was interesting kind of, you know, obviously both of you guys have, you know, actually done the editing, but like, I also found it interesting kind of how you mentioned like, you know, with kind of like Tempest, you know, you kind of viewed it as kind of like curating things. And I've always found that interesting, you know, with like editor types, whether it be like anthologies or, um, you know, even sometimes like in the world of music, which is where I had originally kind of gotten my start in like writing and things like that, is that, you know, you would have like people who would do like the actual edits and things like that and like the whole other process. And then also people who, you know, might not have had that background, but they were really good at finding certain, you know, works that really spoke to them and kind of compiled it and then maybe worked with someone else who handled the other thing, you know, was better at the other thing or just had more experience with it. And I know you guys have had experience with both, but I've always just found that kind of fascinating because like that's kind of like me. I, you know, I went to journalism school and I can edit, but that, I definitely don't think that would be my strength. But like I feel like it would be cool to kind of curate something, you know, just find things that, you know, speak to you and kind of compile them that way. Right, right. Um, yeah, that, cause that, that just seems like it would be a lot of fun, but like you had said, Mary, um, that it definitely is a lot of work and I definitely commend people who do that because there is a lot that goes into it. And I, I definitely don't think I could do it. That's for sure. <laughs> I, well, cause yeah, I, I do some editing on the side for people, um, you know, like if they, you know, like, like pay, paid editing gigs, you know, and, and I, mm-hmm. I find it fascinating to have the chance to read people's stories, but because they're paying me, I go over it with a fine tooth comb. It's not just copy editing. Like I'll give them, you know, overall, like overarching story advice and, um, you know, sometimes even market advice, you know, if it, if it, if it warrants that, you know, and and it's just, it's a lot of work. I mean, and, and I don't want to make it sound like I don't, I don't enjoy it. I, I do enjoy it, but mm-hmm. it's not, when I think of like how I would, you know, define my career, I don't think of myself as an editor. I think of myself right. as a writer, but um, if I can make somebody's story better that way, great, you know, but it is definitely a different skill set and a different kind of pleasure to curate something where you Mm -hmm. already know you're getting you know you're getting something you're not you're not working towards say fixing something you are working toward presenting something yeah and i do i do like that i do enjoy that (laughs) yeah and that's one of the things too like why i think it's fun even just from like you know, a podcast perspective or a blogger perspective is a lot of times, at least the way that like I do it and stuff is like, you know, there's people who are really good at, you know, especially when it comes to like reviews and things like there's always different styles and all of them are, you know, valid and stuff. But like for me, the way I kind of do it is kind of that approach. I like to just curate stuff that, Mm -hmm. you know, I really enjoy and want to share with people versus, 
you know, trying to take on like everything <laughs> and, you know, I do recommendations on your show it, and like a lot of the times, you know, you might not know ahead of time, so it might not be something you enjoy, but like in your guys' personal life, like, are you more apt to like recommend stuff just that you enjoy or would you be like, you know, oh man, I watched this movie. It was pretty terrible. You should still watch it, but it's terrible. And oh, I man, think I kind of know a little. Yeah, I think I know some of the answers, but I think it would be pretty interesting to get your guys' thoughts on that. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I, I always recommend terrible movies to people because... <laughs> 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 I, I sometimes think uh, I enjoy bad movies more than I enjoy good movies because I, I don't know, like when it, when it comes to a, a, a well-made film, like, you know, you're going into it and it's going to be good. You know what I mean? Like when you hear everyone mm-hmm. praise a film up and down, you're like, well, I know it's going to be an enjoyable experience, but when you dig down deep into the bottom of that dumpster barrel, <laughs> and you know somebody tells you watch this movie about alien llamas and you turn it on and you're just like this is delightful and it's crappiness yes and the more people need to see this because it's just it's an experience you're not going to get anywhere else you will never see like a marvel studios a disney or anybody like that making a movie like this <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and that's why, like, I, I found, um, I think I talked about it on Ghost Riders uh, podcast a little while ago. Like, I, I just recently uh, downloaded the Tubi app because I found it on my uh, PS4. And it is a treasure trove of <laughs> yeah. all the types of movies that, oh my, it, it's like a never ending fountain of garbage horror films. <laughs> <laughs> and I find myself getting lost in it. Like I'm Alice go- looking through, like through the looking glass. Just I just I, I, like the app just comes on and I'm in a completely different world. And then when I pull out, I'm just like, ugh, I oh like drooling on myself. I'm oh I need to drink water. What what time is it? What? <laughs> But yeah, I will always recommend terrible movies to people. So um, anybody listening to your podcast, they can hit me up on Twitter and I can guarantee you I will find you a film that is in your wheelhouse that <laughs> you which, would have never thought to look at. <laughs> which I have, to, I have to ask, Matt, and I, I, I'm not sure of the title. I think it's just called Scarecrow, but it was like an early 2000s movie. They used to play it on the Sci-Fi Channel a lot. But to your, to speaking to like what you mentioned, like it's one of the worst I've ever seen. Like you know those like slow motion walks that you know like Jason, oh yeah, yeah. like will run away and they just walk. And this movie. The scarecrow is chasing these people through an apartment, a long hallway. And I'm not kidding you, when they run, instead of doing like that menacing walk or even just running after them, he turns around and does a series of back handsprings down down the oh hallway. It sticks it, with me to this day, and it's at least like twenty years ago that I've seen this, but I, I, I was just curious if you'd ever seen it. 
<laughs> I, I, I know the exact scene you're talking about. And I also, if you don't know, I, I need to fill you in that there are three of these movies. <laughs> no, I was not aware. <laughs> I was not aware of that at all. Yep, there's a, there's three of them. <laughs> yep. I might... I'm going to regret saying this, but I might have to investigate looking into watching those other two movies, <laughs> especially if they're on that level of quality as the first. Well, and the, and the good thing about horror films and everybody knows this, um, they go, they get worse as they go along. So I can only imagine. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> How about you, Mary? Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Matt. No, I was I was gonna say for movies I usually recommend stuff that are, it's 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 bad, but um, you had also <laughs> talked about books. Um, when it comes to reading, I usually will kind of stick with like, please read this because it's very good. Um, yeah. I also I in the past couple years, and it's just because I've gotten into this myself. I I tend to start recommending a lot of books from people that I've started personally meeting because we all know. If there's one hard thing in this world, it's getting people to find or read your books. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah. I try to that's a mission I do as a service to just friends and other people I know that are like starting writing careers. I'm just like, yeah, go check this guy's stuff out. You know, you're into this. I know this friend that writes this in particular and they're an independent author. Go check them out. You know, get get out of the Barnes and Noble and try to find some new people, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, I tend to go by the more or less the same the same principle. See, when when you're part of a the writing community, you you can't really throw a, a rock without hitting somebody that you know, you know, yeah. who's who's written a book. And so I tend, if it's something where I don't like a book, I tend not to really talk about it because. I I don't see you know it, it, it's it's I, I you know if you write something you know you're putting it out into the world people have every right not to like it which is fine but mm-hmm. I don't see really what bad publicity does um, and especially if it's somebody who's like a newer writer um, you know I, I don't see any reason to like you know crap on their parade really if it's the only book I think because we used to do the book club on the horror show. Right, and right. so sometimes we would read books that I was not crazy about. And like, uh, I think that there are some things that Richard Lehman does fantastically. Uh, and I know that Richard Lehman's fans are diehard, you know, ride or die kind of fans. There are some things that Richard Lehman does that I don't care for. So I don't read a lot of Richard Lehman because I don't, I mean, there's only so many times that, you know, I can count rump. <laughs> in a book before you know it's just it, there's just certain things he does that i just I, I he's not writing for me let's just say i'm not the target audience there and that's fine you know because i know the people who love richard Lehman like they love richard Lehman, and you know as far as you know he, you know he's uh, by all accounts he was a fantastic guy super nice you know super helpful um so it's not really a knock against him but to me that's different partially because it's, I guess, what they would consider punching up, you know, um, and and partly because, you know, I if if it's a book club thing and I'm on the spot, I could say like, here's what I didn't like about this, 
but I, I still try to talk about things I did like within the book because there's, you know, there's always people who know, you know, there's, there's so, there's so many of us that are writing and they, we all know each other and, you know, I, we want each other to succeed. And, and I see no reason to really like anytime a writer has, has written a book about like a book review about someone else and kind of crapped on the book. I don't really see what that accomplishes, you know, other than to kind of make the writer who's doing the review look like they're crapping on another writer's book, you know? Um, because again, like editing, writing book reviews or, you know, giving book reviews is a different skill set, you know? And to me, if a book review is not looking at why a book is good or not, and it's just saying, well, I didn't like this because I expected this or, you know, it, it, unless it's kind of critically analyzing a book, then I'm, I, I'm not really sure why that opinion, you know, from one writer about another writer should matter. You know what I mean? Like, what's what's the credentials there, I guess, is what I'm saying. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. And and maybe that's maybe that's the the literature major snootiness coming back in again. But I just to me, I, if it's a book. I talk about the stuff I like. And it, like Matt said, um, we like to, if one of us does well, we all do well. So I like to, pro, you know, promote the genre I can and talk about things that I really genuinely enjoyed. You know, things that I thought were good that I think more people should be reading. Now, movies. <laughs> oh, Lordy. I am notorious for wanting to pick good movies and failing miserably. Um, <laughs> I, and I'm like, uh, life is t- I, I know that life is too short to waste on, you know, an hour and a half of crap, but I'll sit there and watch an hour and a half of crap, hoping, hoping it will get better, hoping that there will be at least some kind of payoff, some kind of monster money shot or something. I will hope against hope that the, that that things turn around and they don't. But it doesn't stop me from doing it over and over and over again, much to Brian's dismay. So. I <laughs> what I have found though that honestly most movies I'd say like maybe 70% of movies are just serviceable they're just average horror movies which are not groundbreaking they're not fantastic but they're not terrible you know they're fun they're they're fun to either have on in the background or they're fun for a night of just watching you know just watching you know basic average horror fare they're okay and I, I don't know. It, to me, if I'm going to talk about it, it's got to be astoundingly awful or astoundingly good. <laughs> and there's not a whole lot out there that, that are, are really so terrible that they weren't discussion. Although the space llamas one, that was, that was, that was pretty awesome. Um, <laughs> I mean, Santa like Jaws super, was super cool. good. <laughs> Santa Jaws? Santa Yeah, but, but, on the Ghost Riders podcast now, we have made it almost a mission to mm-hmm. find these terrible movies and to watch them so that the, the listening audience doesn't have to. And I feel that it is a public service. It is. <laughs> a, it is. a selfless public service that we do for people watching House Shark and <laughs> Carousel. But here's the thing, too. It's like much like not wanting to talk about bad books because writers know where to find us. I found that lately the movies we talk about that we 
say are really terrible. Now that because of Twitter and social media, the directors are finding us. Now, why the directors <laughs> yeah. really care, I don't know. But um, but they do. And they come on there on Twitter and they defend their movies. And then I feel bad, like I've crushed somebody. I've crushed some, some person's dream, you know. So mm-hmm. I think it's just – I think you reach a point where you have to be careful what you say negatively about things – that may be considered punching down, mm-hmm. but we still love talking about terrible movies because we enjoy them. We enjoy them in their terribleness. Oh and, yeah. And that's and the sometimes thing. Like, we want to share them with the world the way we want to share fantastic things with the world, because we cannot carry the burden of the terrible alone. Absolutely. I mean, and that's the thing. Even when we talk about the, the, the crap movies, and we're kind of like complaining about it. We're, it's it's still like a, a complimentary like love. Like it, it's like complaining, but it's also like we love what we're complaining about, you know? Oh, yeah. we're like, oh there's, yeah. there's a scene where it's a cave and it's all paper mache and it looks like crap. And it's like, you don't get it. I love that it looks like crap. Because <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> I get the impression, too, that especially with the stuff that sounds like the stuff on Tubi and the stuff on Amazon Prime that there's almost a subgenre of horror now, which is. is, I guess, like a subset of horror comedy, which is these yeah. really crappy, ridiculous movies. Um, and if that's what they're going for, if it's not just that they don't have a great budget and they don't have any talent, but that they're actually trying to make something silly, I say I, I'm all for it, you know, um, because – it's almost it's there's got to be some kind of talent there in making something that awful. <laughs> but if it's just that like nobody told them all along this process, like no, honey, no, you need to find a different dream because this <laughs> this is not your forte. Those I you know then you almost kind of feel bad because it's like somebody somewhere. <laughs> apparently does not have that that one person that is stopping them from from wearing the ridiculous clothes or getting the ridiculous haircut either you know (laughs) yeah yeah and you're right there does seem to be kind of like a um you know like those sort of things i think they used to be sort of like unintentional and then you would kind of find like you know the humor in it or whatever but yeah there does seem to be like a subset where it's like that's like the end goal is to, like, yep. have those mm-hmm. movies. Like, I don't know if you guys have seen Velocipaster, but oh, yeah, that's I one. loved it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's, like, a good example of it, where you know that that's kind of where they were going. Or And I think even there was, like, a New Zealand one. I forget what it's called, but it's about, like, a killer sofa. Yes. Oh, yeah, killer chair. Sofa. Yeah, that, yes. yeah, that's the title. Yeah. Yep, watch. I yeah. watched that one too. <laughs> yeah, and we, and some of them, some of them, you get the impression that is exact. Like we we watched, uh, I guess, on the advice of Ed Lee. We which already okay. just I love it, but <laughs> you got to know what you're getting into when he's when he's recommending a movie. Was, was this the, the, the greasy, greasy strangler? strangler? Yeah. Yeah. That broke me. That that was enough to break me. Cause that. I still have to see this. Oh my god. It's. <laughs> I can never unsee it. <laughs> but see, I don't yeah. know if I'm necessarily. There's some of them, like some of the cheesy, like Carousel. Okay, I, I could be the audience for that because I found. I found the absurdity. Like there was actually a 
comedic talent in the absurdity of Karis Hell. Okay. The Greasy Strangler, I am not the audience for that. It it was not my kind of cup of tea <laughs> at all. I, I was broken. Matt can tell you. I was broken <laughs> by that movie. Yeah, I, I've seen that one. Um, I'm still not really sure what I think about it. But yeah, it's it's definitely a viewing experience, though. I, I can say that. It said okay. something, all right. <laughs> yeah, that's an even yeah, that's Something an even that reaction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I don't want to keep you guys too late. Um, but it's been a lot of fun, and I just want to have if you guys have anything that you'd like to promote, whether it be you know stuff that's already out or upcoming books um, and where listeners can find you as far as uh, social media. Okay. Uh, do you want to go ahead, Mary? Okay. Um, anything currently I have available is on Amazon. If you just go to Amazon and search Mary San Giovanni, it should all come up. I also recently redid the website. So if you go to the bookstore um, page on my website, it should have links to all the, all the books that I have currently available. Uh, and then as far as that, like I said, I'm waiting on, uh, a novella to come out. I'm waiting for the Everywhere House, hopefully to have some news on that. And Matt and I are working on a novella together. So yes. there's that in the pipeline. I'm very Ooh, that's awesome. That oh, and you can find me at, at Mary San Giovanni on Twitter. That's pretty much, I don't do much Facebook wise, but I'm usually on Twitter, so. That's all I got. <laughs> so uh, I'll go next. Um, <laughs> if you want to find any of uh, my books that I've self-published myself, uh, the easiest way to do that would be to just search my name on Amazon, uh, Matt, and then Wildesen, W-I-L-D-A-S-I-N. Um, you probably will also find the Dark Words anthology on there as well if you search my name. Um, and Melancholia, my first, uh, my debut novella, you can get in two places. You can get that on Amazon in ebook and paperback, or you can go to deathheadpress.com uh, to get a copy from there. Uh, as far as down the pipeline, like Mary said, we're working on a novella together. Um, I'm currently in the editing phase of a book that I'm hoping to sell to Thunderstorm Books uh, called The Backrooms. It's uh, a book that. Uh, it's about uh, alternate realities dealing with uh, computer programming. So it actually has like DOS jargon and uh, programming stuff uh, intertwined within the story as it goes. So um, hopefully that will come out at, at some uh, get accepted and come out at some point. Uh, but and I also might be bringing back the short story uh, horizontal collections. So got a lot of stuff going on and there's other several other things also going in the background. Another book that will probably be coming out pretty soon if not this year, uh, early next year, is I'm working on a book with uh, Simon Paul Wilson. Uh, it's called Baggage. Uh, it's a very interesting book, uh, a different take on uh, demons and demon hunters and stuff like that. So I was very excited about writing that book with him, and that'll be coming out soon as well. Uh, as far as now that books are out of the way, if you want to listen to podcasts that I do, uh, Grindcast, 400 plus episodes. Uh, if you want to 
every Monday, new episode, or if you want to just dive into the backlog, I mean, God, at this point, you probably have at least a year's, a year and a half's worth of just straight audio you could listen to. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's at grindcast.libson.com. And, of course, uh, the lovely man, Mary San Giovanni and I are the Ghostwriters Podcast. I'm pretty sure you know where to find that right now if you want to listen to it. And to reach out to me directly, you can just uh, Matt at Matt underscore Wildeson on Twitter. Like Mary said, I I don't really do Facebook as much either. Uh, I'm just there for my horror group that I put up. And that's basically it. So Twitter is the best place to get me if you want to talk to me. Same here. Awesome. Yeah, and again, I can't thank you guys enough for uh, coming on the show. It was a lot of fun. Um, Definitely looking forward to the books you guys have coming out. Um, And, you know, again, it's been cool. Um, I listen to you guys especially a lot, um, like your podcasts and stuff. So it was really cool to get you to have you guys come on um, our show. Well, we appreciate it. Thank you for having us. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. Yeah, anytime. You guys are uh, welcome anytime, and uh, I hope you guys have a good night. You too. You too. Thanks. Bye. Is somebody going to hang the fucking thing? Thank you.